You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Hey, it's good to look out there and just see all you guys here. What a fun time doing baptisms tonight, right? Let's make noise about that one more time, yeah? <coughs> well, I have to apologize, too. Um, before I apologize, I'll make an apology here in a minute. Let me first just say welcome. Like, I'm glad you guys are here. There's a burnt match on my pulpit. I don't know why. Um, I don't even know what to do with that. I feel lost now. Oh, I'm just going to drop it on the floor. <coughs> it's done burning. It's okay. It's all right. Um, let me just say welcome. Like, for those of you that are new here, maybe never been here, if I've never gotten to meet you, my name is Joe, one of the leaders here, and I'm super excited to uh, dive into God's Word with you. Uh, if you would, grab your Bible, turn to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in chapter 14 this evening. Uh, we'll be continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke that we started well over a year ago. For those of you that are new with us, uh, our heart's intent in that is this, that uh, in in our culture, it's really easy for us to just kind of uh, come to the scriptures, get a little piece of it, and move on. We live in what's called a fast food society. We want things now, we want it quick, and we want it done, and we, we want to get out of it. And so a lot of times, we, we get these big, like, 100-foot views as we study scripture. And so what we've chosen to do is not to do that. We've chosen to take a slow, soaking walk the Gospel of Luke. The reason is because the Gospel of Luke is all about who Jesus is, what Jesus did, what he came to do, and who he is for you and for I and for the world around us. And so we just believe that the message of the Gospel of Luke is so important that we're going to take a couple of years to work our way through it as a church family. And our hope and our prayer is that God would use that to really just shine a light on who Jesus is and make him famous in our community through our little church family. And so that's why we're taking a long time to go through the Gospel of Luke. Now that's my welcome and slight introduction. My apology is this. I have no idea what's going on in my throat other than the fact that that baptism water had to have been about 32 and a half degrees. Amen. For those of you that were getting baptized, is it about, about right? 32 and a half degrees? Maybe barely. And so I don't know if that's the issue. I've obviously had a cough that's been going on for quite a while. So that's my apology. I, for some reason, cannot kick it. And I'm sitting over here in the pew a minute ago, like I'm about ready to like lose a lung on the floor. And so <coughs> apologies ahead of time as I um, choke my way through this message. So Let's dive into the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 14. We'll be in verses 12 through 24. And as you're turning there, I kind of want to frame out Frame out where we're headed so that you kind of have an idea and a clue of what we're talking about tonight. We're going to talk about the invitation of the gospel. The invitation, the invitation of the gospel is basically and simply this, that God is calling us to come and follow Jesus. That's the basic and simple invitation of the message of the gospel is to come and follow Jesus, to follow him by faith and to trust him that he will save us from the wrath of God. See, there is, a, there is a wrath and anger of God that is due to all of us that we've all earned because of our sinful living. I'll just come right out of the gate and say that. I know for some of you that are here, if you're a visitor, you're like, man, that's stinking offensive. I'm sorry. There is a part of the gospel message which is an offense, and there's also a part of the gospel message which is very much a winsome message which wins us in and calls us good news. You can't have good news without some bad news. The gospel actually means good news. It's the good news about Jesus, who he is, what he came to do, the message of the cross, the message of grace, that you and I, what we earn by the way that we live is death. The penalty and the payment and the paycheck for the way that we've lived, it's death. But the good news out of all of this is that Jesus came sinless, perfect, and he lived the life that you and I can't live. And then through the cross and our faith and our trust in him, then he saves us from the wrath of God. He, he diverts or turns away the wrath of God. He actually took the wrath of God through his death at the cross. Now that message is a message of grace. That message of grace should be something that changes you. If you're here and you profess Christ and you, you claim to be Christian, this is a, a message that must change you. I know far too many quote-unquote so-called Christians today that, that quote-unquote read their Bibles, but there's no change. There's no change in their lives. And what that tells me is that what's really happened is the good news of the message of the gospel has not truly permeated their hearts and their lives. And so the invitation of the message of the gospel is not merely just to come and believe, but it's to come, believe, to follow, be, be changed, be transformed, be renewed 
in the transformation of your mind, in the changing of your heart, so that your thinking, your desires, and then the activity of your life is radically different from what it was the day before. So that, that is simply, and, and maybe um, completely, to some extent, a lot of details of the message of the gospel. The invitation of the gospel is for you and I to come and trust Christ become part of the family of God, to no longer be objects of God's wrath, but then to be objects of God's love instead. So you and I, before Christ, we are actually objects of God's wrath. That's just, that's the simple, plain fact of the message as you look at it in scriptures. And so then the invitation in that, as we, as we understand and realize that, is then to come to Christ and to be changed, to be saved, become part of his family, to be objects of his love. But there may be some of you here tonight who are struggling with receiving this message. Maybe some of you as Christians in this room that you struggle to hear this message of the gospel as good news. You're bearing under the weight of just trying to live. There's some of you, you come into this room and you're not believers. Like church life is not part of your life. Uh, the scriptures is not part of something you would say, this is part of my daily life. And so for you, as you come into this room, maybe you're struggling to hear the message of the, of the gospel for a few different reasons as well. Maybe some of you in both camps, whether Christian or not Christian, as you hear this message of the gospel, as you hear this invitation to come to Jesus, to follow him and to trust him, maybe you're struggling to accept it. And maybe you're struggling to accept that invitation of the gospel because you simply cannot imagine that God would let those people into his kingdom. Ever have that thought in your head? Like, I could not believe that guy calls himself a Christian. I can't believe that guy thinks he's going to go to heaven. I can't believe that guy thinks he's godly because I've seen the way that he lives. I've seen his life. I, I'm not sure that God could let him into his house. Maybe you're stuck in that place of making distinctions between uh, who God will really let into his family or into his house because maybe you struggle with distinguishing between who's important enough or valuable enough or good enough to spend maybe your time or God's time or your energy or God's energy or maybe your resources or God's resources on. Maybe you struggle in this area of just making distinctions between who's important and who's not. Maybe you're struggling with a different issue. If you're not struggling with that issue, maybe you're struggling with the issue of just sin and idolatry deep down within the hallways and the corridors of your heart. And maybe what's welling up from deep within you is maybe, maybe a whole list of excuses. Maybe it's a whole list of excuses as to why you cannot accept the message of the gospel, why you cannot follow Christ, why right now just isn't a good time for you to come and follow Jesus. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you have a ton of excuses. Maybe, maybe you just struggle with being so distracted by like the cares and the concerns and the needs of this world and this earth that we live in, and maybe all the drama that comes along with it, that maybe you just can't get past the long list of, of those excuses, be the excuses of, man, I just got too much going on and I have far too many needs um, to follow Jesus right now. Maybe you just can't fully accept the invitation of the gospel because of that. Maybe for you it's some material possession. Maybe it's some earthly need. Maybe it's something in your job. Maybe something financially related. Maybe, maybe you just got too much going on. Maybe you find yourself in, in those categories and so you're making excuses about accepting the gospel, following him, and actually truly living a radically transformed and changed life because of the gospel. Maybe it's not that. Maybe as you're hearing this message, maybe you're thinking, I don't fit either one of those categories. So maybe for you, maybe it's about that your struggle to even see yourself as somebody who is actually welcome in the family or the house of God. Maybe you feel like there's no way that God could accept me. If he knew all the things that I did, if he knew all the broken marriages, if he knew all the hurt relationships, if he knew all the late night activities, if he knew all the drunken nights, if he knew all the drugs that I did, if he knew all the thoughts that were in my head, if he knew me, if he really saw me, there's no way that God could ever accept me into his house. Maybe that's you as you think you have way too many issues and there's no way that God could love you. That there's no way that there's enough room for you in the house or the family of God. If you find yourself in any of these places tonight, then as we dive into this text, I'm super excited and glad that you're here because this text is meant for you. This text is meant for you. My guess and my gut tells me that every one of us in this room will fall into one of those categories one way or the other. It's either that or the, the fourth category would be you're here but you're not listening, you're not hearing it whatsoever. That'd be the fourth category. 
So my hope is that if you're here, maybe you see yourself in one of these three categories and maybe that God would speak to you. I believe that this is what he wants to say to you and I tonight through this passage. Kind of big idea, big concept, big thing that I'll kind of probably keep saying and keep repeating over and over and over again because we know that we, like sheep, have gone astray and we're kind of dumb and ditzy sometimes. And so we need to be repeating things and have things repeated to us to get it down. This is the deal. Despite the distinctions that you and I make among our brothers and sisters, and despite the excuses that we make, which reveal really the sinfulness and the idolatry of our hearts, there's room for all of us who would come into the house of God. That's the good message of the gospel. Despite all of the distinctions that you and I make between who we think is important and who we don't think is important and how we spend our time and how we spend our resources, despite all of the mistakes that we've made in that area and in that category, and despite all of the excuses that we've made in our lives to not follow Jesus, despite all of the times that we said, no, I think I'm a Christian and I'm going to live my life the way that I want to rather than living my life the way that he's asked me to and I make all these, rather than, despite all of those excuses are still room. The door is still open. The lights are still on the house. God is still sitting there and saying, come, sit down at the table with me and eat a banquet, eat a meal. He's still saying that. For some of you, this may sound similar to a message a few weeks back. It's because there's some similarities in the themes all the way throughout Luke, as Luke tells us about who Jesus is and what he came to do. So look at Luke chapter 14, (coughs) verses 12 through 24. Let me read it. And then I'll kind of work our way through it and just kind of show you how this big concept and idea bubbles its way up. Verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to them, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and lame. The servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges, compel people to come in. My house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Again, just to highlight in these verses as we read through that, I think it just kind of compounds and underscores the fact that what I think Jesus is trying to teach us in these verses is, again, that despite the distinctions that we make among our brothers and our sisters, despite the mistakes that we make in distinguishing ourselves as better than other people and, and as other people as less than or not worthy of our time, despite the mistakes we make in those areas and despite the excuses that we make which then reveal the sinful idolatry and the, and the roots of, of ungodliness and unholiness in our hearts, despite those things, there's still room still room for all who would come to the house of God. In verses 12 through 14, what we learn is we learn that the gospel invitation makes no distinctions. Gospel invitations make no distinctions. Common problem for us today is the way that we distinguish between people who are important and unimportant. We dehumanize other people around us who've been made into the image of God. We dehumanize them as we relegate them down to numbers on lists, statistics in literature, or problems to be fixed. We distinguish other people's importance by what we receive from them, which then drives how we interact with them, 
and the frequency by which we interact with them. We often wind up using other people for our own selfish needs and our own selfish gain. It's the problem in marriage today. It's the reason why so many marriages are broken. Man, woman, meet each other. Oh, you look sexy. Oh, you look sexy. Let's get married because I think you're going to make me feel good. And then what happens? The dishes don't get done. We all look like crap the next day. We don't look as good as we did before. And pretty soon it's like, you don't want to sleep in the same bed with you? Are you sure? Well, I don't think that because my wife's beautiful, so I would never go there. You know what I mean? Like we get into marriage. <laughs> yeah, I really got to cover my own bush. going to kick me out of the house tonight. We get into marriage oftentimes for what we want to get out of it. And then what happens is when we get into that marriage, we find, oh, crap, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. This isn't fulfilling me. This isn't making me happy. This isn't making me joyful. I don't like you anymore. Again, you don't make as much money as I thought you would, right? You don't keep the house clean. Hey, the house kind of smells because of you. You get that? Some of you guys probably, right? So marriage at times is not as good as we once thought it was. And the reason is because oftentimes when we come to relationship and we come to marriage, we come to it seeking and looking for what we can get out of it and we wind up using other people. This is the, the high reason for, for divorce. It's the reason for me, my, part of my personal story is that I've been divorced. And some of you are like, well, you can't be preaching then. Great for you. We'll see you down the road, right? <laughs> We're all here. We're cracked pots. That's all there is to it. And the reality is that when you come to Jesus, you come to Jesus as a crackpot who needs him. And then what happens is you don't continue to live the same way. That doesn't make any sense. Like either A, you're a Christian and you're struggling in sin and you're growing, or, or B, you're not a Christian. You may think you are, but you still look the same way you did yesterday. Like that's not Christianity. People died to be Christians, right? People died to be Christians. People didn't die so that they could claim to be Christians but still live in their sinfulness, Right? Only come back around. The message of the gospel and the invitation of the gospel doesn't make distinctions between who's worthy of our time and who isn't. All I want to do is merely point out how we do use other people around us for our own selfish gain. Jesus addresses this issue in the text. Notice in verse 12. Verse 12, he talks to the Pharisee who invited him over for dinner. The cool thing about Jesus is this. Now, in the church today, here's what's happened. In the church today, all across this nation especially, more so than other countries, more so in this nation is that we've gotten really soft. Oh, you offended me. I cannot believe you just said that. Really? Yeah. Read the scriptures sometime. Like, read Jesus. Like, Jesus was not, again, he's not like this blue-haired, staring off into heaven, like a halo coming down, long blonde hair, butterflies floating around his head. That's not Jesus. Sorry. That's not, that's not who he is. Is Jesus gentle? Yes. Is he joyful? Yes. Is he good? Yes. But he also says some really harsh things. If you just read back through the first portion of chapter 14, you'll see what Jesus does is steps all over the feet of every person in the room and then basically drops the microphone, walks out the door. Jesus has gotten no issues with pissing people off. That's the reality. And this is what happens. He gets invited over to a banquet by a Pharisee who's a religious leader. Okay? It's a certain type of religious leader, like the difference between Baptist and Lutheran or quote-unquote Bible-believing non-denominational whatevers, okay? So it, or Ephraers or, um, I don't know, Methodists. What else you got out there? We've got a bunch of people out there that are all sorts of different categories of Christian, right? So a Pharisee is basically a category of Christian leader in that time. He invites Jesus over on a Sunday Sabbath right after church so you can eat the big feast, take a nap, then get up and watch football together. It's kind of basically what's taking place. And as they're sitting there, Pharisees and other Sadducees and religious leaders and lawyers are all sitting there and they're intently watching or waiting for him to say something wrong, waiting for him to make a mistake so they can zine off emails the very next day and blast his name and all these other things, right? And in the midst of that, last week, as we looked at the first 11 verses, we saw how Jesus interacted with these guys and he basically jumped all over their cases for their pride and their arrogance, thinking they had everything right while there was somebody in their midst who was really hurting and really needed a touch from the Lord. And what they were doing is they were standing back and they were watching Jesus. You might remember this from last week if you were here. And they're watching Jesus and this, this hurting man who's got this physical issue is in their midst. And Jesus is like, hey, is it better to heal this guy on the Sabbath day and actually like extend a hand of mercy? Or is it better to stand back and not help this guy out and sit back and like your pompous, self-righteous, thinking you got it all together by all your great deeds and all your great actions, even though inside you're an absolute flipping wreck? Which is better for us to do? Here, let me just tell you because you're not going to answer me. Let me just heal this guy. Boom, heal. Now get out of here because I'm going to step on your toes. I'm going to piss all these guys off. That's basically what Jesus does. And from that point forward, he begins to ask all these rhetorical questions. 
And what he's doing is he's hitting on this issue of pride. And he's like, hey, you put yourself first in every conversation, you got pride issues, you should get that dealt with. You worry about serving yourself rather than serving others, you got pride issues, you need to get that dealt with, right? So now, now in the middle of this conversation, he turns his attention from everybody that's present as well as the Pharisees and all these other leaders. He turns his attention back to the guy that invited him. He's like, hey, you, you invited me. Verse 12. He says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. What he's doing is he's saying, hey, you, you threw this party and you invited all the important people in town. You've been standing back trying to watch and see how you could trap me. This is not the way to walk out godliness and holiness. Don't just invite people to see what you can get out of them. Invitation of the gospel doesn't make distinctions. The invitation of the gospel isn't about gaining something from others. This is what Jesus is drawing our attention to in this text. In this first portion of verse 12, he's drawing our attention to the fact that there's motivations behind what each of us do. Motivations behind how we distinguish who we will invest our time in and who we won't. He's reminding us that if we only invite people into our relational circles that that we stand to gain something from, then we are in danger of being invited for the very same reasons. Think about this. That's what Jesus is saying. Like, if your only motivation to invite others into a relationship is based upon what you get from them, then you better watch out because you're probably going to get the same thing in return. People are only going to invite you based upon what you have to give. So that's not the message of the gospel. When Jesus invites you into a relationship with him, it has everything to do with what you couldn't give. Following God and following Jesus and being a part of the church is not about what necessarily you bring to the table. Because the only thing that you brought to the table that gets you saved in the first place is your sin and your need for Christ. You didn't bring anything good. You didn't bring anything good at all. The only thing that you and I get for being who we are apart from Christ is death. Like you see me smile and you're like, why are you smiling about that? I can't believe it. this is good news to me. Because it sets me free from my working. I don't have to work to earn God's love anymore. I can just accept it. I can just receive it and then be changed by it. I can't change me. Like I'm a wreck and I'm a mess. I've tried to change me a thousand times. Anybody else on the same page? Anybody else try to change me? No, you. Anybody else trying to change you? Yeah, you should know. You can't change you. Only God can change you. And so we bring nothing to the table. That's the message of the gospel, right? So the invitation of the gospel isn't about gaining something from others. So what's the remedy? The remedy of the problem, Jesus says in verses 13 and 14, he says this. He says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. I missed my face. Did you see that? Oh, my. I have more problems with that cup every week than oh, my beard is, like, all full of coffee. I'm going to have to edit this out. and Let's put, get back on track now, right? Mm. You'll be repaid at the resurrection. <laughs> I got back on track. <laughs> what Jesus is saying here is this. He's saying that, that, that we should invite people that we normally wouldn't invite. What would it look like for you and I to be around people that we would not normally spend our time around, people we don't feel comfortable around, people we don't receive any lick of benefit from being with? People at the top of our list of invitations should be the people that we stand to gain absolutely nothing from because in the invitation of the gospel, the invitation of the gospel is actually about gaining nothing from anyone. So Jesus says that when we do this, what we're doing is we're actually living out the principle that says that gospel invitations make no distinctions because in those moments, in those moments, what we're trusting is the same gospel that does not distinguish between our importance or anybody else's importance. It's the same gospel that rewards us with entrance into the kingdom of God without distinction at the resurrection. There is no distinction. And when you look around, you see something, you're like, I cannot... I cannot even believe that God would allow them into his house. You better stop for a second and remember. You, what you really shouldn't believe is that God would allow you into his house. That's the reality of this text. The invitation of the gospel reminds us that there is no distinction at the resurrection. And there's some of you hearing this message. As you're hearing this, you think, I'm doing fine in this area. That should be a red flag for you. If you think you're doing fine in this area, that should be a red flag for you. And the red flag there for you should be this. Every one of us has issues in this area. 
I still sometimes cringe when I see a certain phone number creep up on my phone. I'm like, I don't know if I want to answer that, right? I still cringe sometimes uh, when, I, when I come into church and I'm worn out from the week and I don't want to be around anybody. I'm just be really honest, okay? And so I have my days too. I think every one of us in this room is going to struggle in these areas with people that maybe we don't want to be around. But maybe for some of you, you think that like only on your worst days that you're like this, that you're actually doing pretty good. And well, I do agree. I do agree that for us as a church family, like we're growing in this area. I think we're doing better at being around other people who are really different from us and have differing opinions from us. And let these questions, like examine your heart a little bit. Just think about it this way. How, how well do you interact uh, with people that are vastly different than you? How well do you go out of your way to interact with people that are different from you? Think about people from different political persuasions than you or people uh, with different religious affections than you, maybe people who are less physically fortunate than you. Think about people who are maybe not as financially set as you are. What we need to remember in all this is this, that the gospel invitation makes no distinctions because the gospel is not about gaining something from others. It's actually about gaining nothing from everyone around us because in the resurrection, there is no distinction. The only distinction at the resurrection, when we're all resurrected and we go to heaven or some go to hell, in that place, those are the only distinctions there are. And as we then trust in Christ and and go with him to become part of the family in the kingdom of heaven, in those moments, there's no distinction between between who you once were. Because all there is now is who you are in Christ. Now in verses 15 through 20, we kind of move on and we learn that the excuses that we make Reveal the sinfulness of our hearts. Try to get the whole right. Here. <clears throat> the excuses we make reveal the sinfulness and the idolatry within each of our hearts. And we all make excuses, right? We make excuses because of our preoccupation with our physical possessions, our jobs and our relationships. Three categories. Physical possessions, jobs, relationships. Remember that. All those things basically compete with our ability to to fully accept the invitation of the gospel. Because what happens is that we often idolize these things by looking to them for our everything. We We look to our job and our relationships, our needs, our possessions. We look to those things for our comfort, our identity, and our salvation, or you could say self preservation. We often trade our comfort in the gospel. Our comfort in Christ is another way of saying it. Or our identity in Christ, our identity in the gospel. Our salvation in the gospel. We trade those three things, our comfort, our identity, and our, and our salvation in the gospel. We trade that for the false comfort that we find in physical possessions or the false identity that we find in our jobs or, or the false salvation, which is self-preservation that we look to in our relationships. And then what happens is we wind up making excuses why we cannot accept the invitation of the gospel which is simply the invitation to cast all of our cares upon Jesus and trust him for all of our comfort, all of our identity, and all of our salvation. We wind up trading those things in by the way we make excuses. Jesus has no problems confronting these issues either in verses 15 through 20. Notice in verse 15 that there's a dude that's in the audience and and as Jesus is talking, this dude suddenly blurts something out. It's like, you know what Jesus has been saying has been really good and it must be stirring up some conflict as he's confronting everybody in the room, right? Because then suddenly somebody just kind of blurts out and he says this. He says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. It's kind of an interesting thing. Like Jesus has been throwing down a really good rap and a really good rant and suddenly in the middle of everything it's like he pauses to take a breath <gasps> and in those moments somebody's like hey blessed is everyone that will eat bread in the kingdom of God and Jesus is like yep interesting did you hear a word I just said I can just kind of see Jesus sitting there like wait a minute that's really off track I mean, if you track with the structure of the way this is written it's an interesting moment it's kind of a breathtaking moment I think it's almost like, again, as I said, this dude is kind of feeling the intensity of the argument, the intensity of the moment. Maybe what's ensuing here is all this conflict and things are heating up between Jesus and the Pharisees and 
I think it's like this guy's maybe attempting to say this. Maybe he's saying, hey, Jesus, like, yeah, dude, we hear you. Everything you're saying is great. Like, we're catching some of it. We're retaining some of it. You've got some notes written down here. I'm going to take them home. I think what you're saying is great. In fact, I think it'd be really cool. I think it'd be really cool, like, when we all eat bread together in the kingdom of God. Because obviously, like, if, if you're here... If, if we're here, we're, we're all going to be eating bread in heaven, right? I mean, what this guy says is a little bit presumptuous. It's a little bit presumptuous that if you're in that room, somehow you've got your ticket to heaven. Somehow it's paid for. That's almost the presuming statement that this man is making. And what this guy does is what we often do in regards to gospel invitations. Like, pay attention and frame this. Don't fall asleep right now. Hear this. This guy does what you and I often do. He takes a gospel invitation that was meant to be specific and personal for each person there, and he makes it kind of a big general revelation type of a thing. And in the midst of that, what he's doing is he's glossing over his deep and personal need for the gospel. This is what you and I do all the time. We make it more about everyone rather than me. We make it more about them than my heart. We talk more about the sins of others than the sins of our lives and our need for Jesus. This guy is just presuming and he's glossing it over and he's taking what Jesus has been saying specifically and it's almost like he's trying to derail the train. So I don't want any of us to do that in these moments either. Because the reality is that our excuses oftentimes gloss over or minimize our need for Jesus. Kind of like minimizing the screen on your computer. This is not a time for you to minimize your personal deep need for Jesus. This is not that time. This is a time for you to catch a huge picture of who Jesus is and a really small picture of who you are and the gospel message which gives you hope to be saved and to be changed. So Jesus is kind of like a pit bull in this, right? He just kind of continues to hammer away at the hearts of everyone in this room. If you look at verses 16 through 20, he says, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Like, underline that and circle it and draw happy faces and like little, you know, bursts and cloud bursts, stuff like that. Come, for everything is now ready. That's like the central message of the gospel for you and I. Come, it's all ready, it's been done, it's been finished. Jesus did it, you got nothing to do. Like you don't have to come and bring food, you don't have to come and set the table, you don't have to come and think you gotta clean the house, you just need to come to me because everything is ready. In the message of the gospel, it is simply this, you and I are incapable of change, you and I are incapable of saving ourselves, but Jesus does that work. That is the good news. Every week, pound that message into your heart and your mind, understanding this, you need Jesus because you and I are very sinful people. Like, I sin even when I'm not thinking about sinning. Okay, I can go from reading scripture to having a simple thought the very next moment. And if you think that, that somehow like I'm a freak because of that, like you're in the same boat too. We're all in the same cracked sinful boat. All of us. We're all headed to the same place without Christ. That's why this message is good. Come. Everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of ox and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. <clears throat> the deal is this. <clears throat> what you learn here is the invitations have been sent. This is almost like if you're trying to throw a party, the first thing you do is you send an invitation via email. And then maybe the next invitation you send is text. And then maybe the next invitation you send is maybe a personal phone call. Or maybe you flip that around. Maybe it's phone call, text, email. I don't know how you would do it. I might do it that way though. And what's happening is in the very first invitation that was sent out, it was as though everybody accepted the invitation. They'd been invited. This points back to the message of the scriptures from the beginning of time until now, all the way from Genesis until then. All the prophets, preachers, and teachers that had come before had always proclaimed Christ, had always proclaimed the fact that there was a Savior and a Redeemer coming. And for you to be saved and to be part of the family of God, you need to trust in him. I was just explaining to our, our group of people that were being baptized earlier that if you look at the message of, of Noah, and you look at the message of the boat, right? What happens in that story? I want you to think about it. If you go back to what I think is Genesis chapter 6, 
6 and you read the story, you find that God is saying this. He's saying, all the intentions of man's heart and mind were more deceitful and more sinful than could possibly be. That, that's my rendition of what he says. Like it was super, super simple, super bad. Like it was doomed. And God is like sorry about what's happening in the world. And he's trying to figure out how he's gonna deal with this. And he goes, I'll, get, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna find one faithful, one faithful righteous man and a couple pieces of wood and I'm gonna save all of mankind through a death and kind of like a resurrection through a bunch of water. And so you get all these pieces in the message of the gospel going all the way back. Now we look to Jesus and his Two pieces of wood, death, resurrection, empty tomb. And then we practice baptism, symbolic of that. So you come all the way back to this invitation of the gospel. And what's happened is this invitation has been given. The invitation has been given already. And what happens is we wind up making excuses. Message is simple. Come, everything is ready. In Christ, everything is ready. When God invites us in the gospel, he's simply saying that, hey, everything has been prepared for you in Christ. You got to do nothing. You do nothing except for surrender. You do nothing except for bring yourself. I've done the rest of it. This is a message in which God does all the work and you get all the benefits. And the benefits is that you're changed and you're saved. But what happens for us is that we often make Excuses. We make excuses like this. We say, I bought a field. Please have me excused. Which is shorthand for us saying today, like my physical possessions and my, my earthly needs are getting in the way of me surrendering to the gospel and me following Christ. I, I have too many needs or I have too many things to take care of. So Jesus, I'm going to put you on the back shelf today because I've got too many things to take care of. That's one way. We look for our comfort there. Or maybe we say, I bought five yoke of oxen. Please have me excused. I don't know how many of us are going to buy any oxen, but this is very similar to us saying, hey, my job takes too much of my time. Therefore, I cannot follow Jesus the way the scriptures have instructed me to follow Jesus. I cannot submit and surrender to him or accept the message of the gospel because my job takes too much of my time. I don't have time for yet another box like Christianity to go in there which furthermore to me uh, communicates a problem in our thinking in America anyways because Christianity wasn't meant to be a box like on your waffle that you put butter in. It wasn't meant to be that way. Your relationship with Jesus was meant to permeate everything that you do. It wasn't just supposed to be one thing you do on Sundays and sometimes on Wednesdays and for some of us every once in a while on Christmas. Following God and following Jesus was meant to be a lifestyle change for us. But we wind up making excuses, saying, you know what, my job's taking too much of my time. Or, love this last guy in the text, I've married a wife. I'm not even going to ask to be excused. I'm just not coming. <laughs> I love that jerk, right? Yeah, it's great. Right, but this is the other thing. We let relationships get in the way. We do. We get our eyes on the shiny prize of a new relationship. And we, we seek that relationship. And we put everything into that relationship because we think that that's where our salvation is going to be found. And then later we find out that's not working out so well either. Sometimes it's not just a relationship that's gone south. Sometimes it's a relationship that's going just right. It can steal our time. It's like us saying, hey, Jesus, I've got no time for you because I've got a wife and seven kids. That's just me speaking. I've got a wife and seven kids. And the reality is the priority for me should be my relationship with the Lord. And then out of that relationship with the Lord is the way that I then relate to my wife and relate to my children and relate to my church family and relate to those people that I work with and relate to others in the community. Like everything should start with the way that I relate to Jesus. But what happens is we get it backwards. And when we get it backwards, what we're doing is we're saying, I've got something else in my life that can save me, make me feel good, give me comfort, and bring about that sense of identity other than Christ. We, we trade Jesus for physical things. That's the, the message of idolatry. We bow down and worship our jobs, our careers, our things that we own or the things that we want. We worship that next relationship we want to get in or the current relationship that we just can't get figured out. We were created as worshipful beings. We're going to worship something. 
And so you're either worshiping those things and making excuses as to why you can't follow Jesus or you're following him with your entire life. And here's the reality. I think that following Jesus is about a continued path and pattern of turning around and repenting from our idolatrous tendencies to worship those things. Like, I don't think it's a one-time thing. That's the other problem with Christianity is that we often think, well, I went to church and I repented one time and I'm good now. No, it's a continuous thing day in and day out. See, when I see dudes that bounce from one chick to the next, I go, that dude's not repenting. And the reason he's not is because he's got his eyes set on some girl that's going to make him feel better. That's the reality. Not truly following Jesus is following a girl with a tail. It's the reality. And he's using that as an excuse while then saying, no, I'm a Christian. No, you're not. Like, don't claim something you're not. You're going to follow Jesus. Follow him and repent of those things in your life. Don't make excuses about it. Don't lie about it. Just be real, right? So we make those three excuses, jobs, possessions, relationships. It can all be used as excuses. As you think about those excuses that we make, as you think about those things, ask yourselves these questions. In what ways do you maybe look to physical possessions for comfort or your job for a sense of identity or some relationship for salvation instead of finding comfort, identity, and salvation in the gospel? <coughs> How does your preoccupation, think about that word, preoccupation, are you preoccupied with your physical possessions or your earthly needs or your job or your relational statuses? Are you allowing those things to cause you to make excuses for rejecting Christ, for rejecting the invitation to find comfort in Christ or to root your identity in Christ or to find salvation in Christ? Are you allowing those categories of your life to become first? Are you saying, I cannot do without these things, therefore I can do without Christ? If that's what's happening in the evidence of the way that you walk out your life, then I think the call here is to receive and accept the message of the gospel, which says, leave all those things behind because you find nothing in them apart from Christ. Jesus is the only hope, the only answer that you will have. The excuses we make reveal the sinfulness of our hearts. Our excuses minimize our need for Christ. Our excuses minimize the preparation of the gospel for our hearts and our possessions, our jobs, and our relationships can all be used as excuses as well. I'll turn your attention to verses 21 through 24. In these final verses as we wrap up our study, we learn this. We learn that there's still room for all who would come into the house of God. <clears throat> Everyone who comes to Jesus by faith is given entrance into the house of God. Everyone who confesses their sins and professes Christ as their Savior is given entrance into the house of God. You're given a, a place at the table. You're, you're given a name in the family. No one comes to the Father in heaven until he first comes to Christ in faith. These principles are true in regards to the invitation of the gospel according to the scriptures. But the problem for many of us, and the problem for many people in our culture, the problem for many people since the beginning of time is that we falsely believe that there isn't room for us to come into the house of God. Some of you here, you think that maybe you're too poor in spirit. You think that maybe you have too many emotional or mental or spiritual issues to come into the house of God. Maybe you think that there isn't room for you. Maybe because of some crippling thing in your life, some hidden sin or some unanswered spiritual questions. Or maybe for some of you, it's some deep wounds that are festering because of some religious experience that you had in the past. Maybe you think you're too blind to find room in the house of God because you've had a hard time understanding things of a spiritual nature, because maybe you struggle in your belief on a daily basis. Maybe you think you're too lame and unable to walk without maybe the help of others around you as you attempt to walk out the implications and the exhortations of the gospel. The good news for you and I and for all of us here in this room today, better yet, the gospel news. The gospel invitation for all of us in this room that struggle today is this, and there's still room for all those who would come into the house of God. And the only way that you can come to God 
come into the house of God is through your faith and your trust in Christ Jesus and his work done on your behalf so that you therefore do not need to work anymore but just continue to walk out a life of surrender. Let me invite our musicians forward as I begin to wrap this up. And as they come, I want you to notice what Jesus says. Notice what Jesus says when he continues his parable of the man who sent out invitations, right? He's talking about a man who sent out invitations to a banquet. And then a bunch of people basically made a bunch of excuses as to why they couldn't, or better yet, why they wouldn't. Because I don't think it's about the fact that they couldn't. I think it's about the issue of that they wouldn't come that they refused to come, that they actually rejected the invitation, that they got the invitation, pretended they were going to come, and crumpled it up and threw it in the basket when they walked out the door. <clears throat> That's who Jesus is confronting in this text. And in verse 21, he says, So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled, and the blind and the lame. <clears throat> in other words, Jesus says that this is a pressing matter. Go quickly. Don't sit around and wait. Go quickly. It's a pressing matter that we should take action on now. The action we must take, we should take quickly. And that, that action is to work hard to bring others in. To bring others into the house of God. And as we do this, we need to know that there is room for all who would come. As Jesus moves on to verse 22, he explains this. He says, he says, the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, well, go to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Now, here's the picture. Here's the picture. God invites a bunch of people to come into his house. There's some people that are already there. There are others who should have been coming who actually think they're in, but they're actually not. And God was like, hey, you know what? My house is not full yet, so go out into the rest of the city and find others whom I'm drawing in and bring them in. Compel them to come. The picture is a picture of coming and grabbing your friend by the arm and like bringing them with you. He literally uses that language. Go and find them and bring them. Then the next set of language he uses is this word compel. He says go and compel them to come. It's not just dragging them by the arm. It's like a picture of being behind somebody and pushing them as hard as you can to get them into the doors of the kingdom of God. Why? Why would we act that way? Why, why would God be so concerned about this? Well, in the very end of our text, right, in verse uh, 24, we read this. Jesus says, I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. He's saying this. He's saying, hey, the invitation's been given. Like, I've given the invitation over and over and over again. And there's some people who were invited that had the opportunity, heard the message of the gospel, and they made all these excuses, and all these things got in the way. They never received Christ. They never trusted him. They acted like it. They pretended like it. They kind of had the look of the part until you saw behind the curtains of their lives. And the reality is they didn't know Jesus at all. Those people that were invited but refused and made excuses, they will never taste my banquet. And I think what Jesus doesn't want is for any of us in this room or hearing this message to hear that invitation and to walk away rejecting it. The invitation of the gospel, as I said before, is this. You and I are sinful. We are a wreck. We are a mess. We can't fix our lives. We can't. Only Jesus can do that. And the invitation is for you to come to him and trust what he's done. And if you truly actually trusted what he has done at the cross, here's what will happen. The evidence of you trusting Jesus will be a changed life. Changed life. Your thinking will change. Your heart desire will change. You'll start desiring godly things rather than sinful things. You'll start thinking godly things that will make war with the sinful things you've been thinking. And then your life, what will happen out of your life is the activity of your life will begin to change. You'll begin to live in ways that are holy and honoring to the Lord. It's the evidence of, of receiving the gospel. It's, it's called tasting the banquet. The banquet is Christ. Jesus is the one that we feast upon. He is the one. It's his flesh and his blood which saves us. This is the reason that we partake in communion every Sunday at the end of the message. It's a tangible, 
physical way for you to respond to what you've heard in the scriptures. It's a way for you to say, yes, as I'm wrestling, as I'm grappling, and as the Spirit is speaking to me through the mouth of a preacher, it's an opportunity for you to say, yes, I receive, for the first time, for some of you, for the first time, I receive Christ. I trust in him. He was perfect. He died on a cross. I believe that. I don't know why I believe that, but something is compelling me and bringing me to that place where I believe that. Like something inside of me is just saying, yeah, I get that. That might be you for the first time. Then there's some of you here where this is like the umpteenth gazillionth time. I love you. I love all of you who say yes in any of those places. And again, it's not about one time. It's about saying yes over and over again to Jesus and applying the broken body, shed blood, power of the empty tomb, and the cross to your life. It's about being saved. It's about being saved from the wrath of God. It's that good news which says, Jesus did that for me. That's why we partake in communion. So here in a moment, we'll have a few near the front that will serve communion as we close in worship. And for some of you, this may be the first time you've ever had the opportunity to take communion. If you don't trust in Jesus, if something I've said in this message does not compel you to follow Jesus and follow him and trust him with your life, do not partake in this communion because it would be a merely a religious experience for you. You'd be put on a mask and pretending to be somebody you're not. I don't want you to do that. The scriptures actually say that if you do that, you drink God's judgment upon yourself. I don't want you to do that either. So if you're here and you're wrestling and you're like, I've heard some things, yeah, I'm just not ready to, I'm still wrestling with my excuses, then that's okay, but that's not okay. We don't want you there, but we're happy you're here. But, but don't engage in communion yet. But if you're here and you're saying for the first time or for the umpteenth gazillionth time, yes, I trust in Jesus to save me, save me from my excuses, to save me from the mess that I've made, making distinctions between who I think is important and who isn't. If you're here and you say, yes, I received that gospel invitation, then you can by all means come and partake in the, in the, in the, in the taking of communion. And as you do that, please remember that one big idea. Despite the distinctions that you and I make, amidst our brothers and our sisters and despite the excuses that you and I have made which really reveals the sinfulness of our hearts there's room for all of us who would come into the house of God and taste and see that Jesus is good just stand with me and I'll pray Father thank you for our time in the scriptures today thank you for this crowd that's here tonight thank you for the opportunity to engage in baptizing eight people this evening Lord that was so good pray for those that are here that heard this message this evening. I pray, God, that you would do deep work of transformation in hearts. I pray, God, as we partake in communion, Lord God, that, that you would just bless our time together. Help us turn our hearts to you. I pray that you would save some people in these moments. In Jesus' name, everybody said, thanks for letting me preach tonight. I love you guys. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.